Take your Bibles and turn with me. We're going to continue our study in 1 Corinthians today in Romans 14. How many of you are like, uh, Pastor, how do you continue your study in 1 Corinthians by going to Romans 14? Well, uh, today we're going to take a little bit of an excursion from 1 Corinthians because Romans 14 is really connected to 1 Corinthians 8 through 10. And Romans 14 further explains really a a subsection of a study we've just wrapped up in 1 Corinthians 8 through 10. Um, but before we get into the message, let's just have a word of prayer and just thank God for what we just heard. Um, isn't it amazing how the, just the simple tunes and the power of those lyrics. I'm thankful to be a, a son today in God's family. Are you thankful to be a son or a daughter today in God's family? Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the gospel that we have just been able to sing and to hear. Uh, Father, thank you so much that you sent Jesus to be the revelation of who you are. And, and thank you there in Jesus' baptism, we see the Godhead, um, your, your voice from heaven, the dove descending, which is the Spirit, and then, of course, Jesus the Son. Father, we thank you so much that we can worship you today. We pray that our worship would be pleasing in your sight because it's full of faith in your finished work and your ongoing work of the Spirit transforming us from the inside out. Thank you so much that the gospel isn't just for saving one day, but it rescues us right now in this moment. It transforms our thinking. It takes impossible situations and begins to work all things new. And Father, we just thank you that we can be here today as the church and now I pray that you would just speak to our hearts. Lord, uh, help these next several moments to be helpful, uh, both this morning's message and then this evening's as well. And I pray, Father, that we would grow today in our walk with you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As I just mentioned in my prayer, this will be a two-part message. We'll be finishing up the study tonight with a very practical application to what we're talking about this morning. But last week, we were in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 10, and the title of the message was Making Wise Choices. Well, this isn't a brilliant title, so uh, here we go. Making Wise Choices Continued and Clarified. Um, and the reason that we're continuing the message from last week and really clarifying is because last week, uh, we were really wrapping up this subsection of study on Christian freedom, Christian liberty. And the main issue in Corinth as we studied this passage last week, as we saw that uh, they were asking the question, can we eat meat that was offered as a sacrifice to an idol? We probably don't face the same temptation, all right? We don't deal with the same Christian liberty question of, you know, going down to Publix, buying a filet mignon, and having that be associated with some pagan worship of some idol ritual. And so in the efforts last week to drive home this truth that the freedoms we have in Christ are to be enjoyed, but the primary purpose of those freedoms is to make more and better followers of Jesus. That was kind of the overall, really that's been the overall point of 8 through 10 of Paul's study here in 1 Corinthians. Because the Corinthians were dealing with new believers and, and people who had been saved who thought it was a great deal to buy this meat. And they didn't see a problem with it. But other Christians saw a problem with this meat that had been associated with pagan idol worship. And so... We don't struggle with that. We don't deal with a meat question. And so in my efforts last week to kind of uh, make the message practical and to show you that, okay, your, your struggle might not be the meat question, but it might be 
these things, all right? And I threw up this whole list, and I just want you to see these things because there's a lot of hot-button issues on this list. And I had some great conversations, quite honestly, after the service and then later on in the week. And so with the interest of hearing the feedback from you guys and the great conversations and questions that were brought up after the service, uh, we want to not skip on past this. And so today is going to be a very interactive portion of our study through the book of 1 Corinthians, because we're not even going to be in 1 Corinthians, we're going to be in Romans 14. And this is a two-part message. So this morning, again, we're talking about overarching philosophy. We are going to get a little bit practical, but then tonight... Uh, Pastor Don, our assistant pastor and I, talked about this on Monday morning. We always do a review of Sunday, and, and uh, hopefully my introduction won't be as long this week. But anyway, it's, it's great feedback for me. We're always trying to get better as a staff and as a church family. And so we had some great feedback and discussion on this. And he had crafted 11 questions um, on questionable situations. And tonight we're going to go through those 11 questions and show how they apply to one specific area which one of the hot button issues on this list, which is a very serious issue, is the issue of alcohol. And so question, and, and, and notice this, the, this slide and the way it's stated. Those are question marks. These are not statements saying we shouldn't have any, no, we, we, we're going to probably have great, great issues with these things. So we're going to have problems with these things. But uh, so, so Paul's been kind of dealing with this question of, am I allowed to do that? And what we're going to deal with today, both in this morning and this evening service at six, is we're going to deal with not the question of, are we allowed to do this? But as it says in your notes, what we're going to deal with this week is, should we really do these things? And so where does those issues of expediency, what is best, what does God's word say? And we're going to go come back to this list here in a little bit. Uh, How many of you have your worship guide out and you've got some blanks there ready to fill in? This is going to be very practical, and what we're going to do is come back to this list here in a little bit, and we're going to try to figure out where these issues fit on these four categories I'm about to give you that all of us shape our decisions and beliefs around in our life. And so uh, young people, adults, senior citizens, this is going to be a very helpful message for us, and I hope that um, we will be able to grow in this and see how, yes, we might ask the question of are we allowed to do something, but then the really more important question is, Should we do it? And how does the Spirit guide us to make the best choices in areas where people disagree? All right? And so with that, let's read Romans 14. I've preached on this before, but there's no harm in going back and rehearsing, especially when we need to take something very current to our lives and apply it to Scripture. So Romans 14, verses 1 through 5, and then 19 through 23. The Bible says this, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye... But not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eats herbs. So there you go. So you got one person who believes, hey, if it's edible, eat it. Now I just got to tell you a quick story. Uh, I had a chance to go to the Fiddler's Convention last night and uh, hear some good fiddle music. By the way, I'm, I'm working on Caitlin to become a fiddler now. All right, Caitlin, there you go. But anyway, I had a chance to go with the Go family over here. Wait, wait, wave at us, Go family. At least some of them went. Uh, uh, Casey, the mom, uh, is expecting a baby any day, so we don't want to attempt that process along. But anyway, Simon, where are you, Simon? Simon, this boy will eat anything. He was telling me he's eating a spider. He's eating grasshoppers. He's eating bagworms. I'm like, Simon, why would you do that? And he's like, for money, of course. 
That makes sense. You couldn't pay me enough to eat that. But anyway, so Simon wouldn't have a problem eating anything, all right? So if you want to be a Simon, be a Simon, right? Simon says, eat bagworms. Sorry, I'm not doing that one. Anyway, um, and so uh, Simon wouldn't have a problem with eating anything, but there was other folks who would. And so how many of you would be someone who would not eat meat? You'd be a vegetarian. Any, any vegetarians? Well, that's something he's talking about here. And scholars believe that this is probably a similar issue to 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, that, that there was meat and there were libations or drink wine offerings that were offered to temple uh, in pagan temple sacrifices, but it doesn't necessarily say that uh, uh, explicitly, but that's what they believe the issue is here. And so uh, Paul says, listen, one believes that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Verse three, let not him that eat despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God has received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteems one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Skip over to verse 19. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify another. For me, destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense." It is neither good to eat flesh nor to drink wine. Now notice how Paul says that. Listen, the best decision here, it's good. Not to eat meat or not to drink wine or anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. And so then the question becomes, well, how do you know if it's going to make you weak? Well, lean to the uh, safest possible conclusion, which we'll talk about with expedience, with wisdom. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in the thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So, with those verses read, I now want to read to you a couple of more verses which are going to really guide our study for the rest of this morning and also later this evening. And those are these. I love these verses. These verses have transformed my life. These verses have really become cornerstone verses for my philosophy of ministry because in these verses you are given the cure for sin. You are given the cure for life change, for transformation, for, for lasting hope of victory in your life. It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us. And I'm so thankful that not only the grace of God saves me, but it teaches me. And it teaches me with the power of a greater affection. So that as I'm growing in grace, it's, no, it's, it's not so much letting go of the old, but cleaving to the new. And in cleaving to the new, you let go of the old because you can't hold on to two things at once. And when you hold on to Jesus, there's really, hey, he's all you need. He satisfies. He's the bread of life. He's the water of life. Come, get a drink. Satisfy your thirst, friend. So teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live. You see, the grace of God is for you to live today. For you to live what? Soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And you know what? When you live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, you know what there is in your life? There's a peace that passes all understanding because your faith is aligned with your action and you see Christ being formed in you. As 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of our God. 
And so these are great verses, and these really are foundational to all of, really, Christian discipleship as we grow in grace and understanding and applying the gospel to our life. It says over in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, it says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. They're not best. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So Paul says there, he says, yes, there might be freedoms out there. There might be this broad spectrum of things that would be lawful and okay, but not all of them are best choices for me. And he also says this, notice this, because this will become important tonight as we finish up and wrap up our study. He says, and I will not be brought under the power of any. So he did not want to make choices that would bring him under the influence and control of someone else other than the Spirit of God. So that's important. And then verse uh, 23 of chapter 10 that we read last week, Paul says something similar. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient. Then he changes the end of it and he says, all things are lawful for me, but all things do not build up other believers. They do not edify. So with these verses kind of as our grid, kind of in our mix of thinking here this morning, and with Romans 14 that we just read, we want to now dig into the, these, these issues by making this statement, and that is this. At Fairview Baptist Church, we strive to find a biblical balance between doctrinal certainties, moral absolutes that are essential to the Christian faith and spirit-filled life, and then personal convictions and individual preferences that are non-essential to one's faith, but are essential to one's individual growth and maturity in their walk with God. Now, as you read that statement, do you see the distinction between the first set of doctrinal certainties and moral absolutes and the second set, personal convictions and personal or individual preferences? There are certain things that are just absolutely essential, and we're going to talk about those here in a little bit. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to go ahead and put all these up here for you note takers who like to get your notes filled in. So you're going to be able to fill in all the blanks right now. Are you ready? Number, I see everybody going. This is great. So number one, doctrinal certainties. So the first blank is doctrinal certainties. So there are certain doctrines that are essential. I like how one scholar said it. He said, there is an irreducible body of truth that makes someone a true believer, a Christian. And that's important. So uh, whether we're talking about the deity of Jesus Christ, which we just sang about, whether we're talking about the necessity of the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, whether we're talking about the inspiration of Scripture, um, all those essentials that make someone a believer in Christ, those things are, have to be doctrinal bedrock foundation. And so we're going to talk about that here in just a moment. So a doctrinal certainty, what is that? And, and maybe you just want to jot a couple of bullets as a note. A doctrinal certainty is something that is clearly taught and affirmed as essential for salvation in God's Word. We're, we're talking about those irreducible bodies of truth that make you either a Christian or not a Christian. For instance, here's a doctrinal certainty. Jesus is the only way to the Father in heaven. That is a doctrinal certainty. No man comes unto the Father except through Jesus and what he did for them on the cross. If you agree with that statement, say amen. Amen. That's what makes you a believer this morning. That's why we gather as people of the way. In fact, that was the first title ever given to us in human history after Jesus ascended. We were called followers of the way. And then we were called Christians at Antioch. And so doctrinal certainties. Number two, moral absolutes, all right? And so you've got your doctrinal certainties category, and then you've got moral absolutes. 
What are moral absolutes? You might want to jot a couple of bullets here underneath that blank. Um, This is something that the Bible has clearly spelled out as sin and as always being wrong for all people at all times in all places. What's an example of a moral absolute? Here it is. Are you ready? Flee fornication. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, simple. (laughs) That's a moral absolute. Flee sexual impurity. Don't partake of it. Um, The Ten Commandments would be an example of moral absolutes. Save the uh, fourth, which is the Sabbath, because Jesus changed the... uh, Well, we won't get into Sabbath discussions today, but it was Saturday, now it's Sunday. Have you ever asked that question? Why do we worship on Sunday rather than Saturday? Another message for another time. But anyway, yeah, there's other moral absolutes. Don't kill people. In fact, that was a moral absolute before the law was given at Sinai. How did Joseph know to flee fornication before he even had the Ten Commandments written on stone? He lived 430 years before the Ten Commandments were given. He already had these basic absolutes written on his heart. He knew that it was wrong for him to have an illicit relationship with another man's wife. He knew that it was wrong to kill someone. He knew that it was wrong to steal from someone. And really what that was is the moral absolute of loving your neighbor. <laughs> Uh, that's really, I mean, you can sum up all the law by just saying love your neighbor because if you love your neighbor, you're not going to steal from him. You're not going to lie to him. You're not going to cheat him. You're not going to, uh, you know, take from him. You're not going to covet his, his things, his, his relationships. So moral absolutes, all right? Moral absolutes. And the reason I uh, want to park here for just a moment is to say this. If this isn't being recorded, write it down. God is not ambiguous on sin. He's not. He's not ambiguous on it. He is not unclear on the difference between good and evil. Man has brought that confusion into the world. Man thinking that he could be God, wanting to discern between good and evil, brought that confusion into the world. So God's not ambiguous on this. He is for our righteous living because he has already made a way for our righteous position in Christ. And if you're thankful for that, say amen. I'm thankful this morning that Jesus has made me righteous with the new nature, and that now I can live that out by setting my mind and renewing my mind to gospel truth daily. And so we have moral absolutes. Now, we're about to get to the fun part where where, where we get into the nitty-gritty and show you how, with all these issues that we threw up on the screen earlier and that I threw up on the screen at the end of last week, we're going to see how many of these issues fit in some of these categories and where they might fit in one way for you and another way for us. And then the question is, is if they fit for you here, but they fit for somebody else here, then who gets to decide? Who becomes the decider in those issues? And I'll explain what I mean here in a moment. The third one, personal convictions. So in your life, you've got this grid that you're making belief assumptions on and choices in. You've got doctrinal certainties, you've got moral absolutes, and then you have personal convictions. What are personal convictions? A personal conviction, and that's what really Paul is addressing here in Romans 14. Paul is addressing here in Romans 14 the personal conviction zone of a theological grid of a Christian believer. And he's saying that some people have a personal conviction that they can eat anything. Like Simon, he can eat anything. You know, eat meat, eat bugs. It's all clean now. Or you just want to eat herbs, eat herbs. Why? Because again, scholars assume that many people just chose to abstain from eating meat at all because they couldn't know where the meat had come from. And so they just want it because their, con- because their conscience was so sensitive to the pagan religions they had come out of, they just chose to be vegetarian. 
And so that's what Paul's dealing with here in Romans 14. He's dealing with the zone of personal convictions. What is a personal conviction? Again, just a couple of notes you might want to jot. It's the state of being convinced or confident that something is true, a strong persuasion or belief. In other words, a conviction stands in contrast to a doubt or being skeptical on an issue. So a personal conviction. I mean, you are convinced and confident that this is true. And we won't go into uh, applications. Some of you are convinced and certain and confident that there is one team that you should root for on Saturday. See, that's a conviction, all right? And we know that. You wear it, all right? And, um, and so, personal conviction. So, and then fourthly, and we're going to come back to conviction here in a moment, but I want to put this one out there and go ahead and write this one down, personal preference. So we've got a grid by, by which we make beliefs and make choices. And here's the grid. There's doctrinal certainties in our life, moral absolutes in our life, personal convictions, and personal preferences. Now, the difference between a conviction and a preference is this. A preference is potentially up for debate and change without much convincing or evidence, while convictions need much more examination and evaluation if they are ever going to change. So you have preferences which can change, but convictions are pretty solid and set. They, they rarely change in the life of a believer. It's not uncommon, though, that, or, 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 or it's not out of the question that they might change, but typically there's going to have to be a higher burden of proof if you're going to change a conviction, all right? So think through your life and think about that. I mean, I don't know by, by just way of a practical illustration, but how many of you have ever changed rooting from one college football team to another? I mean, you used to be, all right, so we have someone here this morning who did that. Now, now um, you know, was, was that going from Auburn to Alabama or Alabama to Auburn, like the good team, Auburn? Back and forth. Oh, back and forth. Okay. Um, cool, cool. Um, but that's awesome. And what's your name again? I'm sorry. I, I, Heather. Heather. Uh, Heather and Austin have been visiting for a couple of weeks. Good to have them back. So uh, let me just guess, Heather. Is your family divided on this issue of, of Alabama and Auburn football? Okay, so I can see why. She wants to love everybody. There we go. Aw, yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, if you've ever changed from rooting for, uh, where's Dwayne Wells? Dwayne Wells became an Alabama fan years ago. And if you ask him to share the story with you of how he became personally convinced of that, he had an encounter with the bear. And that's why his conviction changed. So, so there's just a, I know it's a silly illustration, but there shows you how something as strong as the team you pull for on a Saturday could change if you have a certain level of convincing that happens. Okay. So with these, with these four categories, let's just think about this. Now, let me also park on preferences for a second. A preference is this, you think it's best. I mean, if there's a phrase that summarizes what a preference is, you say, I think it's best, I think it's wise, um, it's preferred. For instance, you might have walked into church today and you prefer to go to a church that has pews rather than chairs. Okay, that's a preference. Um, or you prefer to sing out of a hymnal, and we even offer you that as a preference. You can certainly uh, pull out the hymnal out, 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 out from underneath your chair and open a hymnal and sing. Um, so maybe you prefer hymnals to words being on a screen, or you prefer a pastor who preaches in a tie versus a pastor who doesn't, or you prefer a pastor who preaches more expositorily rather than more topically and textually. Um, you prefer to have three services a week, three preaching services a week versus two or one. 
Um, you prefer there to be a pulpit versus a table. You, you, you prefer more instruments, less instruments. Do you see that that's a preference? And so you've got these issues that um, arise in churches personally. And, and so the problem is, is when we allow our preference to bleed over into the conviction category, and we'll talk about what that means and what that looks like here in just a moment. And so it's not right for us to throw caution to the wind and just say, oh, well, everything's a preference. But it's also not right for us to make everything a moral absolute or a doctrinal certainty either. Okay? So again, we're talking in generalities here, and we're getting to where we're going with this list that I put up there. So get ready. So we've got these four categories. Now, here's the extremes in convictions, because that's really what we're dealing with today, is how do we form convictions in our life and how do we keep preferences where they're at and allow other people to be different in their preferences? How do we have convictions, maintain them, strengthen them? And of course, moral absolutes and doctrinal certainties, which really aren't up for debate in this whole discussion, okay? So we need to avoid two extremes in our convictions. Number one, we need to avoid convictions about nothing. I meet a lot of believers who they're just like, whatever. And that's dangerous. Young people, that's dangerous. It's dangerous to have a whatever mentality to lots of decisions that are ruining people's lives, that are harming families, that are breaking up uh, families, and that are ruining people's future. And so I meet a lot of Christians today who are just like, well, you do you, I do me, and we just all live happy together. That's an extreme, and that should not be a part of our lives if we're walking in the Spirit. So convictions about nothing, but the other extreme, and, and what does a conviction about nothing sound like? Well, there's no black and white. There's no absolutes. Really? The, the statement you just made, in order for it to be true, has to be an absolute. There's no absolutes. That has to be true, an absolute, if it's going to be, anyway. Um, convictions about nothing potentially lead to agnosticism, uh, agnosticism, where we don't know anything about anything. Um, well, how do you know that? How do you not know anything about anything? How do you know that? See, you got to ask these questions. You got to ask these questions. I'm going to get you thinking this morning. You're about to give me some feedback. Are you ready? Um, convictions about nothing lead to license. You know, they lead to, um, you know, just doing whatever. And again, people who take the gospel of the beautiful grace of God and say that the gospel just means you can go do anything you want, they don't understand the second part of the good news of the gospel and found in Romans 6. Your old man's dead. Why would you want to go back to that junk anyway? And so there's, so anyway, you've got this extreme, and we see that a lot. And unfortunately, people use some of the same language as gospel preachers who are preaching the finished work of Jesus and the new covenant of grace, and they take those phrases, they abuse them, and they have convictions about nothing. And then the other extreme is, is we go to the other extreme. Convictions about everything. Everything is a battle. Everything is World War III on Facebook. Every issue, we have got to make everyone else agree with us or else they are wrong and we are right. And you know what? That is an exhausting way to live. And Jesus has freed you from that extreme. So there's a danger here, and what I've got to navigate as your pastor is we've got to navigate those extremes and show you how there's a much better way to live being led of the Spirit, asking the question of, should I do this or that? And I believe that 
with how we're going to wrap up today and then also how we're going to study tonight and take these 11 questions that apply to some of these specific topics. Once you work through those sets of questions, you'll know the answer in your heart for what God would have you to do. But let's just take back this list for a moment, okay? So we're going to finish up the last 10, 11 minutes of our time together today by taking these four areas that shape our belief and choices, doctrinal certainties, moral absolutes, personal convictions, personal preferences, and we're going to take this list, all right? We're going to take this list, and we're going to start working through this list and trying to plug them in on this grid, so, for instance, and we're going we're gonna to finish with the alcohol one here in just a moment, okay? But let's just go down to the bottom of the list and work our way up. And you guys are going to help me out, all right? And if there's different answers, that's okay. In fact, I expect there to be different answers in this room this morning. And why would there be differences? For instance, let's take music and entertainment, all right? Music and entertainment. Um, there might be some people today who would say music and entertainment falls just in the personal preference zone. You know, you prefer this, I prefer that. Is that true? Well, if someone thinks that, it's probably because of one of two things. Number one, they don't know yet what they need to know. Knowledge helps, a spiritual knowledge of the Word helps us to, to know. For instance, is God concerned about our entertainment choices? Yes or no? Yes. Of course, of course he is. Uh, we should not put things in front of us that would tempt us to a violating a moral absolute. So here's how this works. So in personal entertainment, all right, in personal entertainment, there are lines and there are right and wrong that would lead you in, in making a personal entertainment choice that would lead you to violate, for instance, fleeing fornication. So that would be a moral absolute. Do you see it? So what happened is, is 30, 40 years ago, what happened is, is other standards, rules got piggybacked in on the good principle of not putting in front of you wicked entertainment. And we made all these secondary rules, like thou shalt not go to a movie theater. Now I know some of y'all went to a movie theater this week, all right? All right. Pastors know, they've got their radar up, all right? But, but, but you know what? That wasn't a problem because I know that's your preference. I'm sure there'll be some people in here who grew up with a preference of not going to movie theater. Now, going to a movie theater is a preference. But some people years ago took a preference and moved it into this zone or even put it right here between personal convictions and moral absolutes. To where if you did go to one, you were, I mean, you needed a lot of prayer. So that's just one area. Let's go to another area here. Um, cosmetic surgery. Whoa, that's a big topic. Uh, we won't go too deep into that. But what about non-necessary cosmetic surgery? You know, ladies, you're getting older and you need to fix those wrinkles, you know, with Botox injections. Is that something, now, now here's the question, is that something you should spend the Lord's money on? All right, so there's a stewardship question there. There's a question of vanity there, I guess you could say. So cosmetic surgery. In your mind, and, you're, and feel free to answer out if you want to, but I know some of us are a little fearful to answer out this morning. But cosmetic surgery, where would that fall in this grid? Would it fall here? Would it fall here? Would it fall here? Would it fall in between? You know, what, what you have to figure out is where would that decision fall? And how do you make that decision? 
All right, next. Alternative medication. Do you know that the Bible says, take a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thy off infirmity? So this kind of overlaps with alcohol, which we'll get to. And really, we're going to get to that one even more in depth tonight because that is the hot-button issue for so many of us because of the culture we live in, because of all the terrible things that have happened because of it. But like with alternative medication, the Bible says that you can take a little wine for your stomach's sake and your off infirmities. And of course, we don't know whether that wine was, well, we do know that wine wasn't any, anywhere near the level of intoxication, the, the fermentation that it is today. And then also in Proverbs, it says, give wine and strong drink to him that is ready to perish. So would it be okay for someone in your family to take morphine or some kind of drug to ease their pain as a palliative care as they see the end of their life. I would say according to Proverbs and according to Timothy, that yes, you can take those things, those medications, to ease the pain of the passing um, of, of, a, of a loved one. Now, alternative medications is a hot button issue today. Question, where do alternative medications fit in your grid? Is it a personal preference? Is it a personal conviction? There's a lot of debate right now going on about medications and all kinds of things. And can we take this medicinally? Can we not? How many of you know about that? It's going on. And so the question is, is where does that fall? Does it fall here for you? Does it fall here for you? And, and of course, we all have that inner lawyer in our head. No offense to lawyers, but we all have that inner lawyer right now that's like, yes, pastor, it's got to be that one. And, 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 and you better think it's that one. But but do you see how alternative medication, that can be a very emotionally charged hot-button issue, all right? Um, Holidays, specifically the one coming up here in a few weeks, Halloween. Now, I call it Reformation Day, and of course, I'm not a reformer, I'm a Baptist, but anyway, that's a whole other message for another day. But anyway, uh, Halloween, All Saints Day, or whatever they call it. And, And so, should we, should we not? Should we go get candy? You know, should you, uh, and, and, and I would say that I have lines with, with Halloween and how it's celebrated. My son wanted me to dress up like Ganon from Zelda. He wanted me to be the, you know, this, this, this video game from years ago, and he wanted me to dress up because he wants to dress up as Link. And I'm like, I just don't feel comfortable dressing up as Ganon. Why? Because he's like some evil dark lord, you know, wizard. I don't want to look like that, right? So I kind of have a line. Sorry, Luke. Uh, and, and, Pray for Lukey. He's sick today. He's actually laid out on my couch in the office right now. Pray for him. But anyway, holidays. Again, for everybody in this room, where do holidays fit? Well, depending on Facebook, and it's funny how it pops up at the end of September and the beginning of October every year. And you get all these articles and you get the the keyboard back and forth. Where would it fit? Would it fit in between here? Would it fit here? Here, where would it fit for you? Based on what data, scripture from the word of God, how do you form a decision about that? All right? Um, Let's see, what else? Um, Bible translations. Whew, biggie. A biggie in a lot of churches. Is there one translation for the English-speaking people that they should use for all times in all places and never change? Well, think about that logically. That could have been the same argument back in the 1600s when the English, the popular English version came along, the King James Version. We, we use the King James here, but there's people who use other translations. Question, where does that fit on this list? Ooh. 
quiet. And do you know that I have been, and I've shared this with you before, but I've been in churches as I, I traveled as a rep for Pensacola. I went in a church where they had split the week before, right down the middle, a church of 400 split in half over the italics in the King James Bible. And the moment that they did that, the moment that told me that they didn't even know what they were arguing about. Because if you really study the issue of the italics there, you understand why they're there, what they're needed for, if you understand the Greek language. But anyway, so clearly, some people thought that was a moral absolute. Well, what did they do before 1600 when they didn't have an English Bible? What did they use? I mean, if we're going to really make uh, stands and battlegrounds and, and hills to die on, we better know our stuff. You see? So these are important things. Now, again, my preference and my conviction is one thing, and, and I'm very careful sometimes to tell you whether pastor believes this, and I try to make sure that when I do share that, that I allow you to still have individual soul liberty and the Spirit guides you, but I do need to warn you, I do need to monitor you, and we're, we're going to talk about some of these things um, tonight, specifically with alcohol. Um, lottery and casinos. I had a great conversation with somebody at the end of the service last week about this one. Um, there, is, there is clearly a line that you've crossed when lottery and casinos falls into moral absolutes where you're uh, wasting money, you are taking your livelihood and you're trying to flip it gambling and you're trying to make, you know, $1,000, $10,000, you're risking your family's ability to eat because you've got a gambling addiction. But here's the difference. There are some people who think casinos offer great food and great entertainment uh, and I can go to one and spend $500 and not think a second thing about it. How is that any different than someone who goes to Bryant-Denny Stadium on Saturday and spends the same amount of money and enjoys food and entertainment? They've spent $500 in the same place. Do you see the difference? And, and, and do you see how watching Alabama football can be just as addictive if you're gambling on it? Oh, I think they're going to win by three points or this many. Again, do you see the difference? So where would... Where would lotteries and casinos fit on that list for you? And as you can see, we don't have time to go through all these, but I hope that we're being challenged, that we're being challenged to think and look at these things from Scripture and say, okay, well, pastor, on that issue, I base it off of this, this verse, and this verse from the Word of God. And this is why I do not practice any of it. This is why I totally abstain from it. Um, I was talking with somebody yesterday, and they told me about how their family, uh, grandfather or father, used to preach against um, uh, stores being open on Sunday, but then they would go out to eat on Sunday. Do you see the contradiction there? You're, you're, you, you're going to be against a place being open on Sunday, but then you go to a store or a restaurant on Sunday, and by you going, it, it keeps them open on Sunday. You see the difference? Well, again, where would that fall? Where would that fall? Sabbath day observances, day of rest observances. Where would that fall? Is that a preference? I mean, look at the life of Christ. Was, 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 was whether Christ worked on the Sabbath day a preference, a conviction, an absolute, or a certainty for him? Well, you can see by the very things that he did that he didn't think it was all that important because he said, uh, God made Sabbath for the man, not man for the Sabbath. Birth control, this is an interesting one. 
Because this one, there are so many kinds. Have you studied this? There are so many kinds of birth control. There are some folks in here who would probably say no birth control whatsoever. God's given a natural way to know or a natural way to control. None whatsoever. There would be some in here who'd say, oh, any, any of them are fine. Well, here's where, again, do we know what we know and, and have we studied it? I studied over 20 back when I was in college that of those 20 birth control pills and devices, none of them could guarantee that they weren't abortive in nature to a life. And so where do you draw the line on that issue? Again, do you see how that issue could really quickly, I mean, it's going to probably be somewhere in here, wouldn't it? Because how do you know that you're not taking life when you're taking it? You see? So we've got to study these issues. We have to know what we believe and why we believe it because that one, ooh, that, you know, we're getting more serious. <laughs> we're going up the list here. Vaccinations. Where does that one fall? Preference, conviction, moral absolute, certainty. According to some Facebook post, it must be a doctrinal certainty. Right? Right? I mean, let's just be honest. Why is it that a tool that was meant to bring us closer together has driven us further apart? I refuse to allow Facebook and social media to do that to me anymore. I hope that you'll make the same decision today. Before you go to war on Facebook, before you go to charge that hill and die on that hill, ask yourself the question, where does it fit? I hope we would all die for the doctrinal certainties of Scripture in this room. I hope we would all die for the moral absolutes. Hey, I am not going to violate the Spirit of God at work in my life but in these other areas, where do they fall? Tattoos, another big one. Tattoos. Um, where does that fall? Personal prayer. Well, pastor, there's this verse in Deuteronomy that says, okay, well, that, that same chapter also says, don't shave your beard and don't round off the corners of your beard. So let's be consistent. I'm a, if, there, if there's one goal of me being your pastor over these next many, many years together is I want you to learn how to make decisions on your own. And I want you to learn how to take God's word and discern and read things in context. So tattoos, are they something a person could get? I mean, I'll just tell you this, personal preference. I would be afraid if I made a decision to get one, I would change my mind afterwards. How many of you are like me? I mean, pastor, it's... I would just be afraid that I would get something, and that's permanent. And I don't want to get something that's, I mean, but some of you do have them, some of you don't. And you know what? Anyway, <laughs> the argument can be made. You're going to have a tattoo in your forehead one day, <laughs> the name of the lamb written. And you're like, okay, well, in that case, I'll let God do it. Amen, amen. All right. Schooling. Schooling. Should you, should you homeschool? Should you allow your kids to go to public school, Christian school? Um, Oh, here's the big one that I grew up around. Secular university or Christian university? And do you know this? Because I remember these talks very well in chapels and in other places. That discussion about secular university versus Christian university, it was like right here, buddy. Like right there. Right in between. And there was no room for disagreement. If you didn't go, you were wrong. Okay. Smoking. Smoking, a, uh, a decision to uh, do this because of the nicotine addiction uh, and how that affects your health. 
We know, we have read all the studies of how this clearly shortens your life, of how it deteriorates your life. But we probably went to churches back in the day where the deacons were doing it on the front porch of the church house. How many of you went to a church like that and the deacons were smoking? All right. All right. And so, um, and, and of course, many of y'all have heard my dad's testimony of how 20 plus years ago, the Lord gave him victory over smoking. Um, but there are still Christians today who practice that. And so, where do they think that falls? Well, again, are they making a wise choice? So, are you allowed to do that? Are you allowed to eat too much grease at a meal? Both are wrong, and the question is, is should you do that? So it's not a question of, oh, I'm free in Christ. I can do whatever I want. Oh, I'm allowed to do it. I'm going to go. Again, that's, that's the extreme we want to avoid. So the question is, should you? I'm going to say this. You should never do anything to your body that would harm and shorten the life that God's given to you. Whether it's smoking, whether it's an addiction to sugar, whether it is eating too much cholesterol, grease, any of those things are going to destroy our bodies and shorten the life that God's given to us. Modesty. Modesty. You know, um, every spring, <laughs> the modesty articles get shared on Facebook, and everybody starts, you know, setting up their battle lines on modesty. You know, should a woman wear this or only wear this? Again, where does modesty fit? As you have read and studied and truly understood the issue, where do those fit? Is it a doctrinal certainty, a moral absolute, personal convictions, personal preferences? And then, of course, alcohol. And tonight, we're going to study this more in depth. We're going to give you 11 questions to apply to this one. And the reason that this one is so important is because, well, there's Christians in the world that disagree on whether you can have a little or not. I'll tell you personally, for me, I have an abstinence position. I've never touched it. Why is that? Because of my study of the Word, because of what I've read from Scripture. I want you to write down this phrase for me, okay? Because this is something that as I teach you the Word of God, you need to understand this principle in Scripture, and it is called the law of first mention. It's not the be-all, end-all principle that settles the, the, the decision, but it is a part of the process. And what I want to challenge you to do in this question of should we totally abstain from this or should we, oh, I'm free, I'll partake, lean back into the scriptures that I read you earlier today. The law of expediency along with not being brought under the power of an addictive substance. For instance, there are people in this room who have told me, Pastor, I've gone to the hospital, I've had surgery, and the doctor has even prescribed me opioids, but I have chosen not to take one of them. Because I see the opioid addiction that is rampant in our country, and I know that if I potentially took one of those, I could become addicted. They have chosen an abstinence position, and I applaud them in that decision because that is leaning into, I believe, what is best, what is expedient. All right? But as we look at these principles, and I forgot exactly where I was going there, but anyway, as we look at these principles with, with alcohol, and as we ask these questions this evening, and so you got to come back. Don't you love how I did that? you got to come back tonight, get these 11 questions. Let's ask these questions. And what I want you to do is take these 11 questions that Pastor Don has written several years ago, and as we work through them, apply them to all these areas. They will be very helpful to us as we make the best decisions. So for me, 
I know the addictive power of this. I have people in my family who have, uh, who have been harmed by this. And so for me, it's just not a question. The best, the best decision for me is, I see it. But oh, yeah, the law of first mention. Genesis chapter number 9 is the first mention in Scripture of alcohol. And do you know that the first mention of Scripture in al- of, of alcohol in the Bible is not positive? Noah got drunk in his tent, and Noah was shamed. He was unclothed. Do you know from the very first mention in Scripture that that, we are told, is something to be dealt with very carefully, to stay away from? In fact, the first two mentions, uh, Noah and then Lot. Lot was drunk in his tent. And if you know the story of Lot, something very terrible happened after in, engaging in that intoxicating beverage. And so the question you have to ask yourself is, as you take those principles along with many others that we'll study tonight and apply these questions to our life, when you come to that list, when you come to this list, what's preference? Clearly, there are some preference issues on this list, I would say. For instance, if you look at this list and none of them are preference, then perhaps, perhaps, what that says about us is that we are actually very uncertain about a lot of things in our life because we're afraid to allow anything into the preference category. It's black and white. Well, if, if, if you travel, if you go and you meet other Christians, sincere, godly people, you see that, no, this isn't all black and white. There are some areas here where clearly there is an area for preference. Number two, personal conviction. What things on this list would say, okay, pastor, our family does not celebrate this holiday? That would be a personal conviction. Why? Because you believe that it is strongly associated with the worship of dead people and the celebration of of demons. What I would say is, is that that's not a conviction for me because Jesus crushed Satan's head in his resurrection, and every day is the Lord's. This is the day that the Lord has made. Satan doesn't have a day, and and anyway, but there's, 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 there's debate on that, so that's a personal conviction. Other areas. Where would those fall? This is what we have to decide. We have to take this grid of certainties, absolutes, convictions, and preferences and apply them to our life. So as we wrap up applications, as you think about what are personal convictions for you, remember this, they are personal Romans 14, 5 says, Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. All right? So they're personal. Question. If we are parading and publishing and promoting our personal convictions, then, our, then really we have to ask ourselves, why? Why do we feel the need to parade, promote, and publicize our personal convictions? Ask yourself that question, brother and sister. Number two. Second application. Our acceptance of others into fellowship should be no more restrictive than God's acceptance. If you look at verses 1 and 3 of Romans 14, God says, Receive a brother, but not to doubtful disputations. Verse 3, For God hath received him. A servant is accountable to his master in areas of personal conscience. 
clearly in areas of doctrinal error and immorality. The church has been called. We've been studying it here in Corinthians chapter 5. The church has been called to address these issues in the spirit of meekness and biblical love and purity. Hating the sin, but loving the saint or the sinner who is involved in sin. And then be cautious to keep man-made rules that are not spelled out in Scripture to a minimum. This is one of the biggest, and we must be careful of this. So, questions. How do we develop convictions? And I'm not going to stop too long on these, but you might just want to write down the big idea here. Does your conviction that you currently hold, do you owe that conviction's origination to another person's interpretation and application of Scriptures? Or to the working of the Holy Spirit as He leads you into all truth? in the scriptures? Very important question. Think back to the personal convictions that you have. Did you shape those through the working of the Holy Spirit or did someone else? Because see, here's the reality. My kids love to imitate me. Um, In fact, I saw this, uh, uh, well, I see this every day in my kids. Where's where's Joey? Joey, is he in here? Oh, okay. My son imitates me all the time. It's just, the, it's just the fact of life. Um, last night, we were at the Fiddler's Convention. There's like this little two-and-a-half, three-year-old boy who had his little blue violin, and he was fiddling down there in the, in the audience. Isn't it true that when we were a child, we learned by imitation of those around us? Um, the reality is, is we did what others did because we saw that modeled, and we simply did what they did. That's how kids learn to talk, walk. In a similar fashion, when we first became Christians, we probably did many things that other Christians did simply because we saw them modeling them and suggesting us to do them. And some of those things really aren't up for debate, like reading your Bible every day. That's called discipling someone, praying, uh, attending church, gathering as the church, avoiding this activity, or practicing that habit. And these things are fine and good for when we're just starting out, and we need that disciple-making, and that's not being done enough in churches today And so it can't be avoided that we're going to do as other Christians do. It's actually needful. However, as we begin to grow, we must eventually develop our own reasons for doing what we do. Man, this is the great challenge of parenting. Because we as parents, we are concerned about our children making wise choices and not wrong choices. But the great challenge in parenting is helping them to not only see what they should or shouldn't do, but to give to them the principles that help them decide as they leave our little nest one day, and when we're no longer there, when they're presented with new decisions, a theological framework and grid of, okay, here's a decision in front of me. Here's what I should, or here's what I should not do, as the Spirit leads me. And so many times the reasons that, that become, the, and many times these reasons that we shape become the convictions of our life. So it's vital that these are developed in the right way. But what happens when we end up developing some convictions that other believers might not necessarily hold to? Who is right? Who is wrong? What are some guiding principles that we can hold to as we seek to grow in grace together? I hope that these questions will help us, and especially as we come back tonight for round two. And so have you truly weighed all the biblical evidence for any of these topics? You know, as you look at this list, hopefully if, 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 if there's any practical outworking of this message, hopefully it's that you would go home and say, man, I need to study up. I need to study God's Word some more. I need to deal with some of these difficult passages in the Word where, where, where this is presented here, and I need to have an answer for that. So 
perhaps, if anything, this is a challenge for us to truly weigh all the biblical evidence for any given topic in light of the right methods of Bible interpretation. And again, we, we hope to give you those, uh, not only tonight, but as we continue to study together. These convictions that you form should not just be feelings. Um, people tell me all the time, well, pastor, I feel that I should do this, or I feel that I should do that. Okay, I get what you're saying. That's a colloquialism that we all use, but it goes beyond feelings to thoughts, to the mind. Notice what Paul says here. He says, being fully persuaded in our own mind. So convictions should not be based on what feels right or wrong, but should be rooted in the mind, not merely the emotions. And again, how can you tell if, an, if a conviction is based on an emotion or not? Atomic bombs, keyboard wars. And then finally, can I hold this conviction in a clear conscience without any doubts in my heart? That's what God says here at the end of this passage in Romans 14, and you'll go back, I'm sure, and read this more. He just says here, listen, if you doubt, don't. You're so free, you ain't got to do it. I love that. Isn't that great that you're so free in Christ, you don't have to do it? You get to say, ah, oh, that's not a big deal. Me, me getting this, this, and again, isn't that funny? Me getting this feeling by drinking this or taking this or doing this, Jesus has conquered all that. I mean, I came to church this morning, and I didn't feel like coming to church. How many of you, be honest, didn't feel like coming to church this morning? There was a feelings war going on in you. Yeah, yeah. Praise God we're freed from that. Praise God that we have something deeper. Praise God that he is the anchor for the soul, mind, emotion, and the will. And he's steady. So tonight, I hope you'll come back as we deal specifically with the issue of alcohol and apply these 11 questions to this question of, are we allowed to do it? But the bigger question is, should we ever do it? Don't you think that's the more important question? I do. Because the questions of liberties, as we've said, love limits our liberty. And love drives us to make the best decision so that we're not brought under the power of any possible thing, 